Welcome back to Chi Alpha. Come on. I hope you're excited to be here. I have missed you all so much. I know as students, you guys probably like winter break, but as you might hear me say a few times, I don't love winter break because I miss you all so stinking much. And Cedar Falls is quite boring when you're gone. So you guys come back and Peyton Manning comes to town. So if you didn't, Peyton Manning was in Cedar Falls today. And Keziah didn't know who Peyton Manning was when I talked about it beforehand. So she said, what does he do? I'm like, oh my goodness. And if you don't know who Peyton Manning is, it's okay. We love you. So for those of you that went to Winter Conference, I hope you guys had a good time. It was so cool to see God move in power and to see just all the lives that he was touching. And I'm so thankful that we got to go and encounter Jesus together. Hope you guys all had a good winter break. Hopefully you're rested up because God has got some big plans for this semester. Over break, I've been praying for this semester, and I believe God wants to do something incredible, not only in your life, but in Chi Alpha as a whole. See, I think God is going to give hope to some hopeless people on our campus this spring. I think God is going to bring some deep relationships into your lives this semester. I believe God is going to help you develop healthy habits that are going to help you follow Jesus better this semester. I think God wants to help you develop a real devotional life. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to find out if you stick around Kyle for more than 30 seconds. That's going to help you connect to Jesus more than you ever have before. See, I believe also that God's going to call a lot of you to do our leadership training class. LTC is literally my favorite thing we do in Chi Alpha. It is incredibly, it's an incredible opportunity not only to grow in leadership ability, but also just to grow as a follower of Jesus. I think God's going to call a lot of you to do that class. And then I think after that class, God's going to call a lot of you to become a small group leader next fall. I think God's going to call you to find, feed, and fight for other students on this campus and to use your time in college not only as a time to get a degree, but a time to change the world through the University of Northern Iowa. For those of you that are new tonight, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at Kyle, and I'm so thankful that you decided to join us. I would love the opportunity to meet you after service, so please come and say hi. Also, you get a free t-shirt if you didn't catch that in the video, so please go get a free t-shirt. We also have Bibles. That is our gift to you. At Chi Alpha, our goal is twofold. Firstly, we pray that you will encounter the love of Jesus here in this place. We pray that you will know that you are deeply loved no matter what you've done in the past or where you come from. Our second goal is that you will develop true, authentic friendships, real community here in Chi Alpha where we deeply know each other and push each other closer to Jesus. All that to say, I'm so excited to be back tonight. Growing up, my friends and I were pretty weird. If you've been around, you may have heard some weird stories I've told. See, we were pretty weird, and we were also really creative, which is an unfortunate combination sometimes. And I think the best example of this was probably when I was in seventh grade. In seventh grade, I fell in love with the Percy Jackson book series. In case you didn't know, if you know what that is, they just announced today that it's going to get a show on Disney+, Plus, but that's fine. I saw it on my Twitter trending, and I got really excited at the gym. Anywho. I just reread these books. I read them in, when I was in middle school, but I just read them literally like a week ago, and they're incredible. But that's not important to this topic. So in case you haven't read this book series, it's a series all about a kid whose parent is Poseidon, the Greek god. In this world, the Greek gods are real, and the book centers around what are called demigods, or people who have one parent that's a Greek god and one parent that's a human. So while reading these books, I started to study Greek mythology a little bit, and I found myself super intrigued by it. One night... Myself and two of my other friends were in my friend's house, and I decided that it'd be really fun to play a prank. For some context, out of those two friends I had, one was pretty bright, and the other was a little gullible, we'll say. So I started, <laughs> please don't judge me after this story, anyways. So I started acting a little crazy, and then I went off on this long tangent. I've been preaching sermons since I was little. I went on this long story about how Greek gods are actually real and how I am, in fact, a demigod. I was pretty elaborate with it, 
And to be honest, I'm, I'm a pretty creative person and analytical, so I can make the story sound pretty good. I don't say it to like toot my horn. I say it to say I'm very sinful, but we love Jesus, so that's good. Anyways, my other friend, who's also, who would be a little brighter, he picked up on what I was doing. So he started playing along. He's like, yeah, me too. I'm also Greek. We didn't even talk about this beforehand, but he just read my thoughts, and it was pretty cool. He knew I was pranking them. So through that evening, we convinced our other friend, whose name was Brian, we convinced him that he too was a demigod, and that my friend and I were sent there to protect him. That since I had met him in the fourth grade, my one job in life had been protecting him because he has a huge destiny. That he was actually the son of Hades, the god of death, and he had a lot of power, and we were on a journey to help him reach his potential. I really wish this story ended that night. <laughs> no, for the next few weeks, we kept this story up, and we would do these after-school training sessions where they'd all come to my house, and we'd, like, fight and, play, and train as Greek fighters. So for some more context, Brian, my friend who we manipulated and sinned with, he was pretty small, and my other friend and I were quite large. So in a normal, like, wrestling match, we would just destroy him. But we were smart, so we were like, okay, we got to convince him he's actually growing, getting stronger. So we slowly started to let him beat us in wrestling matches. And we're like, you're overpowering us, Brian. The power of Poseidon or Hades, I guess, was him. And so he was like, this is working. I'm a demigod. And he started to believe me, and I wish he didn't believe it, but he did. I also wish the story stopped there. See, I also had an iMac, which in that, back in that time, having this thing called GarageBand was pretty cool. And so I used this software to record my voice, and I would distort it so it would sound different. I would then call Brian from a blocked number, saying I was various Greek gods, such as his dad Hades or Poseidon, in this weird voice, and I would tell him about what his destiny was. I actually have some clips of these if you'd like to hear them tonight. All right, we can play those. That computer's so old, it took me literally like a half an hour to load that one GarageBand track. <laughs> All this to say that my, friends and I, my friend and I, we were pretty deceptive to Brian. We straight up lied to him for months. What's even worse is we played on some real desires inside of Brian. What small kid would not love to be the powerful son of a Greek god? What kid would not want to be able to beat up his bigger friends and have a world-changing destiny? Our deception was not just a random lie. It was a calculated lie that Brian would want to believe, which made it that much more dangerous. So dangerous, in fact, that after we told Brian that, Brian, you're not actually a demigod, we were just kidding around, he never really talked to us after that. And my friend of like eight years was gone. All that to say, don't tell your friends they're demigods, people. It doesn't lead to anything good. 
Ah, that's one of the, that one makes me just look terrible. I was just saying, like, I'm so sinful, but Jesus is good. See, we live in a society that sometimes it's hard to find the truth in. The amount of misinformation can be staggering. See, some people in our world think it is a sin against humanity to not get vaccinated, right? While the other end thinks that the vaccine is actually just a chip that the government's going to use to control you. Or let's make it more personal. We are told that in order to be happy, we need to live the American dream. That we need to get a good job with a good salary. We need to marry a nice, attractive person, have a few kids, and we can just slide into retirement, ultimately death safely. We're told that the key to the good life is personal freedom, personal security, that we've earned the right to do whatever we want because we're American. No one can tell me what to do. You do you and I'll do me. I just need to look out for number one, me and my family, right? As long as I don't hurt anyone else, who cares what I do? We're told that our main priority in life should be us. It's okay to be selfish once in a while, that we are in fact good people with good intentions, that we probably know best. We're constantly fed information about what's going to make us happy. It is called advertisements. If you get this new phone, I promise you, you'll be happy. Here's a pair of shoes that you certainly need. I know you have 10 pairs that look the exact same, but this one's going to change your destiny. Or you're told that if you just do keto or intermittent fasting, maybe you should just cut carbs or stop or eat only carbs, you will get fit, you'll be sexy, people will like you, and your life will be so good, and then you'll be happy. As a college student, you're told that this is your time to explore who you are. You're told, don't go with the crowd. Do not buy into the culture. You, don't, you just need to be different. That the key to happiness is actually individuality. That you are called to make your mark on the world. Or maybe you're told something else, like you will not be happy unless you get a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you believe that everyone else is on Tinder, so it's okay if I am too. Maybe that you think that I can't have fun unless I go out and party and drink. That college is the time for me to have fun. I can settle down in the future. Maybe we're told that you need to fit in. And the only way to fit in is by doing the same things to the people around you. So just blend in. Let's make it even more personal. Maybe you feel like you're told that you aren't good enough and you never will be. Maybe you feel like you're told that you're not attractive enough. You'll never get over that sin issue, that you cannot trust anyone, that no matter how hard you try, you will not grow closer to Jesus, that you are destined for unhappiness. You're told that no one's going to understand or could possibly love you. So we live in a world that's constantly trying to feed us things. And tell us that they are facts, when in actuality, they are all lies. We live in a world of lies because lies are at large. Tonight we're starting off our new series entitled Lies at Large. These next three weeks we're going to investigate the three enemies of your soul. The three entities that try to ruin your peace and get you off track in regards to your relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus is more worried about your soul than he's worried about anything else. Too often we get concerned with the outside world or our actions when Jesus' highest concern is you having a healthy inner life. This whole series is based off of a book by John Mark Comer entitled Live No Lies. So anything you learn in the next three weeks, you can give him credit. So we just talked about a bunch of lies that you're told. But most of them aren't actually told to you, right? No one ever comes up to you and says you need to have 2.5 children or you'll not be happy. That doesn't happen a lot of times. But who tells you them? Well, it's the first enemy of the soul. The one we're going to investigate tonight, the devil, tells you these lies. That sounds spooky. Probably makes you think of like a red guy with horns. Maybe Will Ferrell from Saturday Night Live. Or maybe that might be an old reference anyways. But the devil is very real. And he's very active in our world. And I'm not a very like spooky kind of person. But the devil is out there and his number one, he's the number one enemy to your soul and your inner health. Hang on with this. We first hear about the devil in Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and in Genesis 1, God creates the world. In Genesis 2, God rests, and then he creates man. And then we come to Genesis 3, which is the story of the first man and woman. It's the story of Adam and Eve. The devil is the serpent in our story, and this story is going to teach us how the devil tries to sabotage your soul. Genesis 3 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I pray that you'll just speak tonight, God, that we can just hear directly from you whatever you have for our community, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. The main idea tonight is this. The devil deceives us through deceptive ideas. The devil deceives us through deceptive ideas. I felt pretty cool getting all those Ds in there. That's not how, I mean, not usually that crafty, but it's fun today. We're going to spend our time together tonight truly investigating the devil. So the first question we're going to explore as well, who is the devil then? So you might get pictures in your head of what the devil is, but John 8 actually gives us a picture of who Jesus says the devil is. He says, you are, the, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he, as in the devil, lies, he speaks out of his own character. For the devil is a liar and the father of lies. That's who the devil is. He's the father of lies. Throughout Scripture, the devil is referred to as a real thing, not just a mythology or an idea. He's a real power at work that has influence in our world. The devil is even called the prince of this world, meaning that the devil does still have influence. So the devil's real. We can kind of go with that. And he's the father of lies. Well, why does he lie? What's his purpose in that? What is the devil's goal? John chapter 10 tells us the devil's main goal. Here in this passage, Jesus is referring to the devil as the thief. The thief, or the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The devil's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to spread death and destruction wherever he goes. So how does he go about doing this? We're moving quick tonight. What is the devil's strategy? Well, the devil is really, really smart. First of all, he knows that we are constantly being formed and shaped. It's this process that's called spiritual formation or spiritual deformation. Basically, we are either being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus, becoming more like him, or we are being shaped to look less like Jesus and look more like the enemy or look more like the world. We don't stay stagnant. Spiritual formation or looking like Jesus is really our main goal on earth. We never just stay the person we are. We're constantly being transformed by the world, by the people around us, by our thought life. Everything is changing us in this formation. Doing in the right direction to look like Jesus is really why we exist. And the devil knows that we are very malleable. And so Jesus and the church try to form us into the image of God, and then the devil tries to deform you and mold you into his image. So the devil knows that we're being formed. He also knows the society we live in. He knows that it can be hard to find truth in our society. He knows we live in a world that doesn't really believe in absolute truth, a world that tells you to find your truth. 
So we kind of struggle to find out what's actually real. So since the devil knows we're always being transformed, and he knows we live in a society that lacks truth, his strategy or his goal is to take control of your transformation, and the way he does that is through lies. The devil's main strategy is to isolate us and feed us deceptive ideas that play into our disordered desires. The devil deceives us through deceptive ideas. Let's go back to our story. So how does this serpent deceive Eve? First, he isolates her. Notice that the serpent doesn't go to Eve when she's walking with God or when she's with her husband, right? She's all by herself. He gets her alone. See, the devil does this to us. He feeds us lies when we are alone, when we are not spending time with God, when we aren't in healthy community. When you are alone with just your thoughts, you are the most susceptible to lies because you don't have a sounding board to tell you that that's crazy talk. So the devil isolates Eve and then he comes at her. Does he come at her with a weapon, like a knife? No, he comes at her with an idea. He gives her an idea that plays into her disordered desires. I'm going to jump into this specific idea in a second, but first I want to hang on this idea of disordered desires. We all have desires, right? We all have things we want. A lot of these desires on their own are not bad. The desire to have joy, the desire to get married, the desire to be successful, on their own those are good desires. However, when those desires, the natural things you want in life, replace our desire to please God, they become disordered. So the actual desires inside of us are not usually the issue. The issue is the place they take in our life. That's when sin happens, is when we put things above God. We're going to cover this idea of disordered desires a lot next week. But let's get back to Eve. So what was Eve's disordered desire? Well, her desire was the fruit. She saw the fruit on the tree and thought, that looks good. Thinking of, tr- thinking of fruit is beautiful is not bad. She also wanted wisdom, which is also not a bad desire. So she had good intentions in the beginning, but the devil knew about Eve's desires. So what did he do? He deceived her. And he got her to act on her natural desire and turn it into a disordered desire. The devil's main way of deceiving us is by playing on our natural godly desires and turning them into ungodly disordered desires through lying to us about what will make us happy. The devil gets us to place our natural desires above pleasing God. We end up worshiping God's creation rather than the creator. Let's go back to Eve again. So what specific idea did Eve get from the devil? Well, the lie he told Eve is the same lie that the devil tells us every day. What the devil first does is he asks Eve, he said, did God really say that? He gets her to second guess that she heard from God. He gets her to doubt God. And then he tells Eve in Genesis 3, 4, you will not surely die. This is what he tells her. In case you're wondering, do you know how the story of Adam and Eve ends? They die. He straight up lied to her. They listen to the devil and they die. So what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get her to doubt God and then feed her lies about God. His goal is to get Eve to not trust God. And the devil does the same thing to us all the time. He's trying to get us to doubt that God is good, that God knows best, that God loves you. In our life, there are three big questions that really every person on their journey of life tries to answer. We try to answer, who is God, who are we, and how do we live? 
When we ask who is God, the devil answers that question for us by saying that God is an unloving tyrant who is holding out on you. That you cannot trust God's plan for your life because he does not know best. See, the enemy wants to get us to doubt God's commandments. He wants us to know or to think that God doesn't know what will lead to your happiness and thriving. For example, we can struggle to believe that God knows what's best for our sex lives. Yes. God says that anything sexual should be done inside the covenant of marriage. But I don't know if you know what's best, God. You don't know my situation. If I don't sleep with them before we get married, how many know they're the one? We have to try it first. I have to have Tinder to find validation and to be happy. Not only are those lies from the enemy that go against God's created order that he lines in Scripture, time and research have proven that God is actually correct, that God's actually smarter than us. See, studies show that couples who cohabitate before marriage are much more likely to get a divorce and often develop long-term trust issues. Scientifically, when you have sex, chemicals are released in your body, and when you keep doing this with multiple sexual partners, you have less capacity for intimacy. See, we live in a society that tells us that sexual liberation is what we're aiming for, that it's our body so we can do what we want, and that will lead to happiness and freedom. But in actuality, the sexual liberation of doing whatever we want has led to more sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape cultures on the rise, sexual addiction, including the addiction to pornography, is on the rise. And this liberation that we're preached that we can do whatever we want with our bodies has actually led us to being enslaved to our bodies. Our society is having an emotional, relational, familial, and political meltdown proving us that the current methods of life that our world around us tells us are true are very off. We are believing lies that are not true, and the science proves it. The science backs up God's commandments. This isn't just with sex, though. Jesus gives us commandments on other relationships, on how to be humble, on how to handle our finances, how to have peace. He tells us how to live the good life that we're all seeking to live. See, the devil tells us that the traditional values or commandments of Jesus, simply cannot be the best method. John Mark Comer says it this way, that we must keep in mind that what we call traditional values were actually at the time all radical when Jesus first introduced them. They are eventually adopted as the norm because they are based on a highly sophisticated and deeply wise view of human nature, and frankly, because they work. When we live in Jesus' vision, we thrive. The reason people started living like Jesus was not because there's a lot of hype around it and there's a bunch of Christians. No, it started with a group of 12. The reason people started listening to Jesus is because it made their lives better. They didn't gain anything from it. Actually, they gained one thing. They were killed for it. That was their reward for doing it, but somehow it made their life better, so they did it. See, the devil wants you to believe the lie that God does not know best and that you must keep autonomy in your life. The devil wants us to think that only we should have the wheels of our lives, that only we know how to have control, which goes through the second great question. So we have who is God and who are we? Well, the devil wants us to think that we are limitless, that we have power, and that we deserve control. However, this also simply is not reality. Reality is the world we live in, which is a world of people trying to control their own lives and finding fulfillment or satisfaction in their own way and failing to do so. We live in a world that's becoming more and more corrupted, and I don't want to be a person who says the world's falling apart because I believe in the goodness of God and I believe that there is hope for us yet, but the science again proves that people are generally less and less happy as time goes on. The farther we get away from following the commandments of God, the less happy we are. We live in a world that preaches freedom, but in actuality, the things that we want to be free to do enslave us. Because we need to remember that God's laws are not motivations for obedience, but instead descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective, meaning that God is smarter than us. 
And we should listen to him simply because he's God and, well, I'm not. The devil feeds us this lie that we should be God when reality is that, well, we're not very good at being God because I was created to be Derek. Thank God I'm not your guys' God. We'd all be Washington football team fans. We'd all be unhappy because that's what I think is best for some stupid reason. Anyways, we'll keep going. Comer puts it this way. That's because Jesus and the New Testament writers worked off of this core conviction that deception is tied to temptation, temptation to slavery to sin, and it's the truth that will set you free. Think about it. The devil, listen to this, the devil cannot make us do anything as followers of Jesus. We have to choose it. We have to choose sin. But to get us to choose evil, our enemy has to fool us into walking down a path other than the one Jesus laid down for us, thinking it will lead us to happiness. And his primary way of doing so is through illusion. One way to think about temptation is to see all temptation as an appeal to believe a lie, to believe an illusion about reality. Again, the devil cannot force you to do anything, so what he does is distort your reality to think that it's actually what's best for you. And then when you go ahead and do it, it doesn't work out best. Because guess what? He lied. Reality leads to truth, and the truth will set you free. The other lie that the devil tells us plays in the verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This plays into a third question of life. How do we live? The devil answers this, that we live to satisfy our own desires, to take whatever we want, to follow our hearts. He tells us that our inner self must be right and we know how to make ourselves happy, that we know right and wrong, that we can be trusted. However, we all have different ideas of right or wrong based on our personal disordered desires. It's like this. Imagine you're playing a game, and in the middle of the game, you decide that this is the best time to make the rules. That doesn't seem smart, because you're probably a little bit too invested, and I'm assuming if you're playing the game, you probably want to win the game. So at least if you're me, who's sinful, I'm going to change the rules to benefit me so I can win. I do this frequently. Whatever it takes to win. <laughs> Maybe you guys aren't competitive like me. My number one strength on Strength Finders is competition, thankfully for me. Anyways, we'll keep going. But we're going to distort the rules to make it so that we can win. Because we're not an unbiased opinion. We're not objective. We want to win, so we can't make the rules. The person who needs to make the rules needs to be a person who's not involved in the game. Just like us, we can't make the rules of what's right and wrong in life because we're distorted. We're going to do whatever we want that makes us happy without thinking, how's it going to impact everyone else? Because we only really have our vision. The reality is that when people follow God's commands of right and wrong, statistically, they end up living happier, more thriving lives. When people follow their own descriptions of reality, it leads to a generation where mental illness is skyrocketing, depression's through the roof, political and racial tensions constantly alive, truth's impossible to find. In our endless pursuit of the good life, we find that none of us have found it. So to summarize this joyful message, the devil wants us to believe that God does not know best. That God does not love us, and in actuality, we should define morality. But the reality of that statement is that it is a lie. You might be thinking, that all sounds great, a little, lot of words, but how does that actually impact me? What happens if we believe the devil's lies? Who cares if he lies to me and sometimes I believe this mystical devil thing? This goes back to something we were talking about earlier. Earlier, we talked about how we're all in this process of being spiritually formed with the goal to look like Jesus. When we believe the devil's lies, it distorts our spiritual formation. According to Dallas Willard in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, our spiritual formation or the process of looking more like Jesus is actually this combination of transforming the different dimensions of our life. 
These dimensions are our minds, our hearts, our physical bodies, our relationships, and our souls. All these dimensions of our body are connected. So what happens in our mind affects our hearts and our bodies, our soul, all those things. So the purpose of spiritual formation is to get a soul or an inner life that's more like Jesus. This will lead to peace and spiritual health. So if your life is void of peace and full of anxiety, please listen up. If you want a more calm soul, a more peaceful heart, a more godly heart, the way we do this is through spiritual formation. And our spiritual formation can really start with our minds. What we believe in our minds impacts everything else. So if we want to be spiritually formed to be like Jesus, we need to start with the ideas that we let into our heads. Because the ideas or the lies that are in our heads become a shadow of the truth. And that's where my chart comes in. For example, maybe the devil tells you that you are unlovable. And you believe this lie that you are unlovable. Maybe this is because your parents didn't show you very much love. Maybe it's because you had a bad breakup, you got abused by a significant other. Maybe you failed at some point in time, but there's something in your life, in your past, has made you to believe this lie that you are unlovable. So this goes from your head to the other parts of you, right? Your body, your heart, your soul. And now that shapes you, it forms you. So because you think you're unlovable, when someone is actually loving to you, you do not trust them because you believe a lie that you, it's impossible for you to be loved. So when someone is loving to you, you think they must have an ulterior motive because there's no possible way this person loves me because that's not my truth. So then this, when these people love us, we don't believe them. And so when that happens, if you think someone's lying to you and trying to have these ulterior motives and make you think they love you, you're probably not going to respond very well to that, right? So then you don't think the people love you, so then you start to act unloving because you think this person's out to get you because you believe the lie that you can never be lovable. So then you start acting unloving. The person's loving to you and you're not very kind to them because you think they don't actually love you. They have ulterior motives. So then your actions are distorted, which makes you kind of a jerk. And then you become the kind of person that people don't love. And this alienates you and it makes this initial lie that you're unlovable your new reality. If you'll go to the next one. So what happens is we have a deceptive idea in our head that becomes a distorted, it distorts our view of reality. So again, we think we can't be loved, so then if someone is loving to us, it's, our view is distorted, they're not actually loving us, which distorts our actions. It makes us act unloving because we couldn't possibly be loved, which then actually makes that deceptive idea become our reality, which feeds into the deceptive idea and is an endless cycle. That one initial lie that changes our actions because it changes our mind has us become an unlovable person, so then the lie the devil told you is in your soul, and you are spiritually formed to be someone who's unloving. Tell me the devil's not smart. Deceptive ideas turn into a distorted view of reality. It becomes our reality. Through this process, something from our head turns to our souls. This works with pretty much any lie. So let's say we believe the lie that we are dumb. So we think we're dumb, so we don't see any point in trying in school because we're dumb anyway. So because we don't think we should try because we're dumb, we actually don't try. So we don't learn, so we become less intelligent because we're not learning while everyone else is trying. We don't try because we think we're dumb anyways, so we actually become less intelligent because we're not learning. It can work with anything. 
Here's some other lies maybe you're believing. Maybe your parents had extremely high standards for your grades or for your performance growing up, so now you think you're only as good as your performance. Maybe this makes you think you have to perform for God now, and He only loves me if I read my Bible and do the right things, when in actuality, God, God loves you in spite of what you do. Or maybe you have this thing happen where you're growing up, you had to take care of everyone, so now your only value is in taking care of other people, and you don't think you actually have any real value on your own, that God only loves you for what you do for others, when in actuality, He loves you simply because He's your son, or you're His son or daughter. These lies distort our reality, which distorts our view of God, which lets the devil have more and more of a foothold in our lives. We're just scratching the surface. There are so many lies that the devil's trying to get you to believe because he knows if he succeeds and you believe that lie, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. He doesn't have to change your actions. He just has to change your thought life because you'll do the action changing on your own. And then you'll play into the lie and you can go on to the next one. See, he uses deceptive ideas to deform you away from the image of Jesus, and in doing this, the devil has control. And when he has control, deception runs amok, and our world loses a sense of what's true and what's not. We start, to base, we start to act based solely on these lies and our own desires, and we lose control. Basically, believing these deceptive ideas don't actually lead to freedom like the world promises. They lead to slavery. We become enslaved to the lies inside of our heads so cheerful. So what do we do? How do we fight back? This goes back to the devil's strategy. Well, how did he deceive Eve? He isolated isolated her and he fed her a deceptive idea. So that gives us our two ways of fighting back. Number one is community. We need a Jesus-centered community to fight back against the devil's lies. We need a community that tells us when we are believing lies. So we have to be vulnerable with our communities and about what's actually going on inside of our heads. Just being in a small group does not help if you don't share what's going on in your life to that small group. We need to be vulnerable. For me in high school, I hated being vulnerable. I never talked about my feelings and my thoughts. I left them all in my head, which led to a lot of deceptive ideas running rampant in my life and a lot of unhappiness simply because I believed things that were not accurate. We need to be honest with each other about where we're at. We need to tell people what we're thinking. Even if we think it's a stupid thought, tell people. That's what your small group's there for. The devil knows, according to Comer, that if he can get us alone, staring at our screens in the dark, when we are most vulnerable to lies, we are quick pickings. After isolating her, the devil fed Eve, fed, fed, bleh, Eve a lie. So to combat lies, we need truth. Eve wasn't the only one who was fed lies by the devils. devil, so was Jesus. See, Jesus went to a desert and fasted for 40 days, and he was attacked by the devil with lies. Except Jesus doesn't give in like Eve did. Well, what was the difference? Jesus had a diet of truth. He held practices that had helped him be formed spiritually. So we must look into the practices of Jesus and try to emulate them in order to get the truth that he had. These practices are called spiritual disciplines, things like fasting, solitude, prayer, Bible reading. If we boil it down, the devil is trying to control our minds. So to specifically fight the deceptive ideas of the devil, we need to take back control of our minds. Comer puts it this way, you fight the devil's lies by simply choosing not to think about them. But as we all know, you can't think about nothing. So you give your mind something else to think about, Scripture. You replace the devil's lies with God's truth. You cut new neural pathways that eventually take root in the neurobiology of your body itself. You become what you give your mind to. 
So when an unwanted thought from the devil comes into your head, when you think something that is degrading or is not accurate, we need to replace those devilish thoughts with godly thoughts. And this is why we read the Bible. We do not read the Bible every day to earn divine brownie points because there's no divine brownie point system. No, we read the Bible to get a mind like Jesus, to think like he thinks. The Bible is the thought life of God. So we can read God's thoughts and this will rewire our brain. This means we don't just read scripture to read it. Please do not just get on your phone and scroll and scroll and scroll and say, good, check mark. Now my smarter believers think I did my job. That's useless. We have to actually read and meditate on the scripture. And if you don't know how to do that yet, that's okay. That's what we're here to help you with. We need to think deeply about the Bible. Learn from it. Don't treat your Bible reading like a divine checklist. Read it deeply. In order to fight off these lies when they come, we actually have to be able to recall the information we learned. So what does this look like? It looks like memorizing Scripture. Take verses that tell the truth of God and memorize them. That way when the devil comes at you and tries to weaponize the ideas and attack you, you have the Bible as a secret weapon against him. This will help you learn to take your thoughts captive. For example, if you're thinking about how sexy that guy or girl is in your class and thinking things about them you probably shouldn't be, and then you remember this verse that your small group memorized last week of Matthew 5, 28 that says this, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Your thoughts probably are going to change a little quick, right? You're probably less likely to sexualize people when you think of that, or at least I would be. You have effectively taken your thoughts captive. Possibly you're really worried, you're really stressed about something, and then you quote the memorized Matthew 6, 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? The truth will set you free, and this will help you take the devil's lies and replace them with the truths of God. We have to control our input, garbage in, garbage out. If you want to not have violent thoughts, but you spend all your time playing Call of Duty, that does not quite add up. When we put our, what we put into our minds is really important. See, the devil's going to tell you this lie that what you watch and what you intake doesn't actually impact you. That's simply not true. What you watch greatly impacts you. If you watch shows with a bunch of cussing, sex scenes, crazy violence, that's going to impact your soul because what hits your mind impacts your soul. So if you want to combat the lies or the thoughts in your life, you have to do two things. Number one, fill your mind with the truth the scripture, prayer, spiritual disciplines, and secondly, take note of your input. What you put in, you will get out. That's the law of sowing and reaping. It's the law of life. All this to say, simply because we believe something in our minds does not mean it's true because the devil deceives us through deceptive ideas. The main idea, again, is the devil deceives us through deceptive ideas. Maybe you're here tonight, and this is a lot, right? It's a lot of information. It's a lot of theoretical knowledge about the devil. And maybe you're confused. Maybe you're just not sure what you think of it. Or maybe you're thinking of that lie that's been in your head for a long time. See, as I was praying for this service, I believe there's a couple lies that I kind of felt. I felt like someone in here believes this lie that they can't grow, that they've reached their spiritual peak, that there's no, there's no hope for them. They've sinned too many times. And I want you to know that that is a lie. I feel like there's some people in here who believe the lie that you can't trust anyone anymore. Maybe your family betrayed your trust. Maybe something like that happened where you just feel like you can't really trust someone. You're really struggling to trust people. Maybe you're actually struggling to trust this community or your small group. I want you to know that although we and other people are not perfect, you can trust people. That's possible. 
I think there's someone in here who believes the lie that they've done too many sexual things in the past so that there's not possible for them to get a godly husband or wife. And that is simply a lie. From someone who did just that, it is a lie. So there's these things we put in our heads and these lies that we believe that we let them distort our reality. And I think tonight God wants you to take back control of your mind. He wants you to stop giving a foothold to the devil. If you want to be spiritually formed in the image of God, it starts with your mind. Your mind, your thought life, is God's property. And he wants to take it back. God is sick and tired of the devil having what is rightfully his. And so tonight we're going to give it back to him. Not so he's angry and can punish you for giving it to the devil. No, because he's excited to plant a beautiful garden in your mind. There's hope for you. Tonight can change your eternity. Maybe you're here tonight and this talk of the devil is really weird. Maybe it freaks you out a little bit. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God at all. You don't even know if you believe in Jesus. But here's the beauty of all this. See, the devil, he, he does have power. That's correct. But there's someone who's so much more powerful and his name is Jesus. Jesus showcased his power by dying for us. See, we've all believed so many lies, which has led us to have a lot of distorted actions, which has led to a lot of sin. And this sin should separate us from God because God's perfect and we're not. That should separate us. However, see, God saw that reality that our sin was going to separate us and he did not like that reality. So God changed it. And God changed our reality through sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for us and to take the punishment for all of our missteps. See, God changed eternity and reality for one reason and one reason only. It's because he wanted to meet you. If you were the only person who was going to come to know Jesus, Jesus still would have died on a cross. That's beautiful. We can have hope in the reality of the blood of Jesus. And Jesus wants you to accept that hope tonight. We live in a world that's trying to tell you what reality is. But reality is a man and his name is King Jesus. Reality is that God knows best and God wants to stop the devil's attack on your soul. We have an opportunity. We can choose to keep believing the lies the devil tells us that we're not good enough, that we'll never measure up, that we're not as good as our siblings, that our parents won't love us, that we cannot possibly be good enough for a spouse, that we can't trust anyone, that we can't love anyone, that we are too far gone. We can believe these lies in our heads or we can fight back. We can fight back to reclaim reality, reclaim our thought lives and reclaim what is rightfully Jesus's, our souls. Would you please stand with me? At Chi Alpha, we like to give a couple opportunities to respond. So the first way we're going to give you an opportunity to respond tonight is if you're here and if you're honest with yourself, you don't really have a relationship with Jesus at all. You've never really let that reality of a king coming to die for you sink into you. And you want to change that tonight. Maybe you're here and you, you once did follow Jesus, or maybe you never have, but you want to change your destiny. You want to be, make Jesus Lord. If that's you, I'm going to ask everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads. So no one's looking around. And if that's you and you want to change your reality and let Jesus be king, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. Not as a sign to me, but as a sign to God that you're all in. If that's you, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that you get to be king, God. We thank you that you are God and we are not because we're not very good at it, Jesus. 
Thank you for being such a loving Savior that loves us no matter what we've done, God. In your name, amen. Amen. We have a second way to respond today. If you're here, and if you're honest, you feel like there's been a lie in your head that you've started to believe. And maybe that deception cycle I've showed you is starting to take root in your life. Or there's some lie that the devil's really trying to get at you. If that's you, I'm going to challenge you to raise your hand right now. You can raise them like this. You can raise your hands up. But I'm going to challenge you right now. We're not going to count to three. But if there's a lie in your head that you want to change, we ch I challenge you to raise your hands like this. The reason, because we want to give it up to God. We're giving this lie back to God. We're saying, the devil has no foothold in me. So we're saying, Jesus, it's like in a battle saying, I surrender, God. You have complete control. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray for the lies that the devil tries to tell our students, God. Jesus, we rebuke the devil right now, God. He has no foothold in Chi Alpha because you are king of Chi Alpha, God. Jesus, I pray against any lies that are in our head, Jesus, that you will take them and show us what they truly are, which is the opposite of reality, that they are lies. God, I pray for a group that no longer lies will be at large, but the truth will be at large in us. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship together.